0: if you would, again, take out your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 36. Genesis chapter 36. We will read through that chapter and then also we'll pick up verse 1 of chapter 37. So Genesis chapter 36, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired And, inerrant word, pay careful attention to the reading of it. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Aholabimah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite. And Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebioth. And Adah bore to Esau, Eliphaz, Basmith, or Ruel, and Olibamah bore Jehush, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan, he went into the, to a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of the sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zepho, Gotum, and Kenes. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, Mizah. These are the sons of Basmath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jaish, Jalem, and Korah. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. The chiefs of Teman, Omar, Zephon, Canaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son. The chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shama, and Misah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ahol Libamah, Esau's wife. The chiefs Jehush, Jalim, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Ahol Libamah, the daughter of Anna. Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom. And these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, and the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir, the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Haman. And Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvin, Mananoth, El-Ebal, Shepho, and Onum. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, Anna. He is Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishon, Ahol, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon, Hemden, Eshbon, Ithran and Cheren. These are the sons of Ezer, Belihan, Zavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishon, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibun, and Anna, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, whom the king reigned o- before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom. The name of his city was Din-Habba. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah, and Basra reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham, of the land of the Temanites, reigned in his place. Hashem died in Hadad, the son of Badad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place. The name of his city was Ivith. Hadad died in Samla of Mashrekad, reigned in his place. Samla died in Shaal of Rehoboth, on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shahal died in Baal Hanan, or Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor reigned in his place. Orhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place. The name of his city was Pau. His wife's name was Beh- uh, Behatabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezhab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to the clan and their dwelling places by the names. The chiefs Timnah, Alva, Ahol Labama, Elha, Pinon, Kezah, Kenaz, Taman, Mibzar, Magdal, and Erim. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to their dwelling places in the land of their possessions. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever you may be seated. Let's let's pray together. <laughs> Father in heaven, as we read this and contemplate this, in our minds we wonder what in the world what in the world are we going to say? This has been my prayer all week. Father, help us. Help us to glean truth and to apply that truth to our lives. May we know Christ in greater measure today. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> that's a sort of text that you're probably glad that you didn't have to read out loud uh, many of you I know read uh, the, the text in the week prior to and um, I, I was told about a conversation that was had that um, said, Pastor Paul is in for some tough sledding. I think that's an exact quote. This is a difficult text. As, you, as we read it, many of you may have been wondering, what in the world are we going to talk about out of this? Some of you are wondering, is he ever going to stop? And some of you are wondering, I wonder if he's actually pronouncing any of these names correctly. Well, it's anybody's guess, I suppose. It's difficult. There's a lot of names. But what we want to do is we want to understand what is being taught here, even if it's implicit in the text. And we want to apply it to our lives. And so in order to do that, we're going to have to dig. And we're going to have to dig pretty hard. And as we dig, um, and we begin to make some connections, and that's what we're going to try to do today, try to make some connections to other parts of Scripture. There's a number of little clues throughout this text. What we're going to see is that what we have presented here is a contrast. A contrast between one who walked faithfully in God's covenant and one who rejected God's covenant and thus had rejected God. It is a contrast between belief and unbelief. Or, to put it another way, this is a contrast between the two seeds the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, Satan. It is also an illustration of this truth that we see in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, a truth which is repeated throughout Scripture. Esau and his brother Jacob were born into the covenant family. They were both called to covenant fidelity. But Esau despised his place. He despised his inheritance. He rejected it and he departed from faithfulness to the Lord. Jacob, on the other hand, was chosen as the covenant partner and uh, and was to be the covenant seed. And God transformed Jacob and, and allowed him to walk in faithfulness before the Lord. And So we see this contrast between these two brothers. And so this text before us is also something of a warning. But it also provides hope. Those who depart from the truth and reject the Lord are impacting not only themselves but future generations who would come after them. Who, without God's gracious intervention and love, would walk in unfaithfulness, in unbelief, and ultimately in destruction. So this is the warning, but the hope is that God is gracious as well. Esau may have despised uh, the, bl- the blessing, but he, or the, his, his birthright, but he, he, did, he did desire the blessing of his father. He says, in, if you look back in Genesis chapter 27, you, you recall when uh, his brother had stolen his blessing. He said in, in verse 38, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, oh, my father. Jacob had rejected his heavenly father, and so all was left for him to do was to lift up his voice and weep. The writer of Hebrews says that when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The seed of the woman is the seed, is the holy seed which is received by faith. Esau had traded that in, though, He had joined the ranks of the unholy and rejected seed of the serpent. Esau may have begged his father after Jacob had stolen the blessing, but Esau had for years already had had rejected his own birthright. He had sold it, in fact, for a bowl of stew. And so here is a list now of his generation's. And what we see is that in his departure, we see a completion of that departure. He leaves the land of promise, even as Jacob remains in the land. Esau departs. God in his sovereign goodness had elected Jacob to everlasting life, to be his covenant partner, to inherit the place of Abraham and Isaac. Esau had rejected the covenant, had rejected God's grace, had walked away from the Lord, and so was himself also rejected. And so what we're looking at today, it may not look like it on the surface, but really what we're looking at today is very instructive. God is faithful and forgiving to those who walk by faith. But to those who reject God's covenant and, affect God, uh, and, re- and reject God himself like Esau are handed over to become like the others around them. And we, we will see this. Esau and his family ultimately become like the nation that they had dispossessed. Eventually, in the case of Esau, his family become outright pagans. They become like the very nation that they had um, moved out of the land before them. Thus, began with, this all began with Esau's despising God's promises, then leads to his choice of wives. Ultimately, this leads to his people's spiritual conquest and destruction. So the, the story of Esau, which, you know, on, in one level looks very hopeful. I mean, from him come many kings and chiefs, comes many possessions. But this is actually a cautionary tale. A story which Israel was to pay careful attention to, lest they become like Edom and like all the na- other nations around them. And beloved, this is a cautionary tale for the church of Jesus Christ also. This scripture illustrates the, the importance of Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. When we, we are to walk in faithfulness before the Lord. We're to teach our children the word of God. We're to, we're to tell, teach them generation after generation the truth of the gospel, lest we become like the nation around us, lost in unbelief. And so we look now in, in the beginning of this section at the family tree, first of all, of Esau. We look at the family tree of Esau. And notice again, that we are beginning a new section, which is uh, identified for us easily with that familiar phrase, these are the generations of. So this is a new told These are the generations of. This is the, this is the told-off of Esau. In fact, in the structure, there are actually two told-offs for Esau. The first is verses 1 through 8, and this covers Esau and his Canaanite wives and the sons who were born to them in Canaan. The next section, beginning in verse 9, largely covers Esau's grandsons down to verse 19, which then provides this summary. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. Now, notice, too, that the text regularly refers to Esau as Edom. And you might wonder, why is this? It's repeated uh, numerous times. Well, Like Jacob, whose personal name is transformed into Israel, Esau's personal name is transformed into the national name of Edom, which means red. Edom means red. And so the national name of Esau, Edom, red, reminds us of something, doesn't it? It's a reminder of how it was that Esau lost his birthright in the first place how it is that Esau had become a covenant breaker. Remember that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. So they will carry as a nation this reminder. This reminder of how Esau, the head of their nation, had despised his birthright for lentil stew. Esau had rejected the covenant of God He had turned his back on the Lord and thus went out away from the Lord and earned this name as an appropriate reminder of where he had come from and what he had done. And so from um, Esau then would come this separate nation, a nation which had departed from God's promises. And yet, even in Esau, the promises of God to Abraham were being fulfilled. Remember, the Lord had promised Abraham that from him would come a multitude of nations. In fact, that's what his name means, the father of nations, Abraham. And Esau was to be formed in the nation of Edom, um, who, and he will make his homeland in the land of Seir. Now notice, too, again, that Esau, verse 2, took his wives from the Canaanites. Now, we already knew this. This is a reminder from chapter 26, but it is reiterated again here. Whereas Jacob had followed carefully the commands of his parents not to intermarry with the Canaanites, Esau took his wives from among them. Remember, again, this whole chapter is a contrast between Jacob and Esau. Jacob didn't take wives from among the Canaanites. Esau did take his wives from among the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites were a particularly wicked people. They were the despicable offspring of Ham who had been cursed by God. This brings us all the way back to uh, the tower. or uh, Yeah, the tower. The fact that Esau took his wives from among the Canaanites was one more example of how Esau had rejected the Lord. And doing this made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, their parents. Esau, it is also noted, married a daughter of Ishmael. Technically, this is not a Canaanite, but it's noteworthy because the two families of the two cursed and rejected sons intermarried. Esau and Ishmael become tied together as well. Now among the sons of Esau, there are a few noteworthy names, Uh, one that may stick out, may seem familiar to to you, would be Eliphaz. Eliphaz's name means God is pure gold. This is, by the way, the name, this may be why you remember it, this is the name of one of Job's friends. Eliphaz. And Eliphaz and Job was a Tamanite. Now, Taman, notice, was the name of one of Eliphaz's sons. That's listed in verses 11 and 15. So perhaps this friend of Job was actually an Edomite. In addition to the son, another son of Eliphaz, listed in verses 11 and 15, is Kenaz, who was originally an Edomite tribe, but will later be associated with the tribe of Judah in Israel. So somehow they end up getting absorbed into Judah. Also, there was Reuel, which means friend of God, and from whom chiefs came. And so some of the sons of Esau, you'll notice, have names which reflect Esau's previous covenant connection. I mean, um, what unbeliever would name their son God is pure gold? Except that you know, He had been part of the covenant family he had rejected, but he still was naming his kids. It, it's sort of like Christians, or, or those who grow up in the church, and they reject Christianity, but they still name their kids Christian names. Same sort of idea. For whatever reason, he's naming his children in this way. And their descendants' names, though, you'll notice will evolve to where they then will have names which reflect the gods of that nation. You'll notice that some of them have Baal attached to them. So they move from names which reflect faithfulness to God to generationally now they are, they're just reflecting the names of the other nations, the gods of those nations. The point is that even as Esau had left covenant fidelity, he tried to maintain something of the covenant culture. But this will wane. Too, as generations go on. Even so, with the sons of Kenaz, uh, there seems to be at least some hope of God's graciousness. Now, Esau had maintained something of a foothold in the land during the, his life, the lifetime of his father. And it is also important to note that the covenant promise to Jacob reflected more of the land promise. Uh, Abraham, you, you may remember, it was really about the seed. You know, that he would have offspring. But with Jacob, the land is is more of the focus. But Esau, notice, doesn't remain in the land. Jacob does. Esau will not inherit. Jacob will inherit. And so Esau's departure from the land reflects something of his spiritual departure from God. Verse 6. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into the land away from his brother Jacob. Now the nomadic hunter Esau had already to some degree occupied Seir. Uh, He had conquered it uh, prior to Jacob arriving back in Canaan. But he had sort of kept a foothold still in the land of Canaan. But here now he departs permanently. He moves his whole household and he settles in the hill country of Seir. And so this description in verse 6, listing his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the members of his household, livestock, beasts, property, etc., etc., this is, this is equivalent to our proverbial saying, he moved lock, stock, and barrel. It was total, it was complete. He left nothing in the land. This was a complete departure. This was the whole enchilada, if I could use another proverbial saying. Esau completely completely and totally departed. And again, this reflects his spiritual departure from the Lord. Esau was not faithful to God. Esau had rejected the Lord. He was no longer aligned with the covenant-making God of Abraham and Isaac. He was no longer allied with the seed of the woman. He had now aligned himself with the seed of the serpent. His leaving the land, of course, did not make it so, but illustrates his spiritual departure from the Lord. And so from now on, Esau, which would become Edom, is to be associated with the hill country of Seir, Which then leaves Jacob uh, to inherit Canaan alone. This move and description provides perhaps another comparison. The patriarchs of the people of God staked their future on the promises of God. The righteous live by faith and not by sight. Our hope is not in what is seen, but what is unseen. Abraham and Isaac had each lived in the land they trusted in God's covenant promises and Jacob was to do the same. The non-elect, however, live not by faith, they live by sight. The ungodly look to the world, they look to what they can see and taste and touch. They are sensual men like Esau who sought for success in riches and security in the things found in this world. Esau had rejected God's covenant promises, had sought to make a name for himself outside of God's kingdom and outside of God's promises. Nevertheless, God would provide for him in the sense of common grace. Esau will be blessed after all a kingdom would come from him. And yet, for his future progeny, his faithlessness would have dire consequences. They will drift further and further from their brothers in Israel. And ultimately, of course, Edom becomes an enemy of Israel. The text now states the reason for the move. The reason given for this move was because each brother had too many Possessions, they couldn't live together anymore. Jacob, though, had received his from the hand of God. You remember, uh, uh, a lot there was a lot of transfer from Laban, his father-in-law. This was all God's doing. Esau, though, had received his possessions through conquest. Now, at one of we might think, well, this this separation seems sensible. I mean, if they can't both live in the land and Esau is not receive inheritance anyway, it makes sense for him to move on. But remember, the Scriptures are making a very particular point. And it's actually one that's similar to what we would seen when Lot departed from Abram. That was quite a long time ago that we covered that, but you might remember the story of Lot and Abraham, or Abram at the time, and you know, Lot chooses to live in the valley, where all the wicked are. But it was, it was well watered. But like Abram and Lot, these brothers departed in peace. There, there wasn't an animosity. They, they just separated with each their ways. In some ways you can say this, God providentially used Esau's increase in wealth to cause him to move out of the land and to go to Seir, leaving Jacob alone to inherit the promised land. And all of this happened very peacefully with good terms between the brothers. The Lord had graciously provided for Esau, for his clan, by virtue of his descent from Abraham and from Isaac. And so Esau settled in Seir. And this paves the way for Jacob, who remains. The hill country of Seir describes the original homeland of the Horites, who the Edomites had dispossessed. In fact, the scriptures declare that God gave them the land of Seir. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, in verse 22, it says that, As he did for the people of Esau who live in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them, and settled in their place even to this day. God gave to Esau, to gave to Edom, the hill country of Seir. Well, now to record what happens in that land, in the land of Seir, beginning in verse 9, there's a second told-off. This is the second these the generations of. Where the first, the first told-off, which we just looked at, focused on the family as he moves out of Canaan into the hill country of Seir. This second one will focus on Edom as a burgeoning nation in that place. A lot of attention is paid to the political developments of the Edomite clans, Again, this is very purposeful, because again, this is a comparison between the history of the Edomites and the history of the Israelites. This is a a comparison of these two nations. While the Edomites seemed to quickly achieve ascendancy, they, they seemed to become very powerful, they had chiefs and kings which came from their clan, Israel would have to wait. Israel would have to rely on God's promises. They would have to rely on God as their sovereign who would establish them in the land and in their inheritance. In fact, Israel would have to wait a long time. Israel would have to go through slavery in Egypt before they realized any of these things. Meanwhile, Edom is growing as a nation. They have kings and chiefs. They're very powerful. The Edomites dominated, though, by conquest where Israel had to rely on the Lord and and that which the Lord would provide for them. Edom went out and rose in status by their own efforts, by conquest. Israel had to live by faith. In the early stages, it may even seem that God was blessing Edom and not his covenant people. It It seemed like the covenant people were, well, they were having to suffer slavery in Egypt. Meanwhile, Edom seems to be doing quite well for itself. Edom, though ultimately would fall under the judgment of God, not all at once, but even as they seemed to grow in power and might, they were spiritually descending into utter ruin because they weren't faithful to God. They had become like all the other nations around about them despite their pedigree of of the godly seed. And so in this way, this genealogy ought to cause us to pause and reflect on the importance of faith, living by faith, living in obedience to Christ. The believer is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and living by faith is living in obedience to the Word of God. We're not saved by having grown up in a Christian family. A Christian heritage is not our salvation, as wonderful as a Christian heritage is. We don't live by our heritage, we live by faith in Christ. Now before we depart from this portion of our genealogy, there's one more aspect of the structure which may be worth noting. The writer of Genesis arranges the grandsons of Esau into a descending order, coming to a total of twelve. Now, this is very purposeful and brings another clue to the comparison being made between Edom and Israel. Now, coming to the 12 grandsons is somewhat, it's actually somewhat contrived. First, the, the birth of uh, Amalek to the concubine Timnah is excluded from the list. And the sons of Aholibamah, try to say that 10 times fast, are placed in the line with Esau's grandsons, which then brings the number to 12. So you actually have a mixture of sons and grandsons in order to get to this 12. Now, this isn't trying to change history or manipulate the genealogy. It's actually very purposeful. The the writer is making a point. So it's important that we see what the point is. The structure is showing us something. Remember that 12 is a number of children that was born to Ishmael and who else? Jacob. And like Ishmael and like Israel later, Edom would become a nation with these 12 tribes. Now the Amalekites are illegitimate and so they're excluded. But the 12 tribes of Esau correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel. Edom had tribes and chiefs who were significant men, powerful men. The nation had grown rapidly. Again, this is another clue of the contrast, the comparison and contrast between Edom and their history and Israel and her history. And where they end up. In fact, the nation of Edom grew and expanded long before Israel had come out of bondage in Egypt. And so, from a worldly standpoint, it seems that Edom had done well, even as they had abandoned faith in God. As we, you know, think about things like this, we sometimes we see unbelievers doing very well in this world, and we think, Lord, why can't it be me? I mean, I'm faithful to you, Lord. Why? Why did? Why is the unbeliever get? Why is the wicked being blessed? Well, this is an example of that sort of thing, except where do things end up in the end? That's the point being made, right? The comparison between these two nations. Now, moving on in in the text, beginning in verse 20 through verse 30, we actually have a major departure in the list. Here is presented the inclusion of the sons of Seir the Horite. Now, This, the Horites, this is the list of the aboriginal people who occupied the hill country before the conquest of Edom. But you might ask, well, wait a minute. Why are the Horites being listed with the family of the Edomites? After all, they were destroyed by the Edomites. Why are they here in this list? I'm glad you're asking the question. Indeed, Esau had destroyed the four rites, but he did something else. He also intermarried with them. Notice verse 25. The mention of Libama, the daughter of Anna. She was listed earlier as one of the wives of Esau. Esau didn't simply conquer the people of Seir. He joined their family. Again, the writer of Genesis is making a very specific point. He's using Edom as an example for us. When people intermarry, they become one people. They become like those people. This is why believers are not to marry unbelievers. This is why Israel is not to intermarry with the other nations. Esau had dispossessed the ungodly Horites, but then in the end, he became just like them. The one who had previously grown up in, God, in a God-fearing home had, had, had uh, then joined the Horites in their paganism. And so Edom goes from being the conqueror to, and who had captured and occupied the land to having been him, themselves Spiritually conquered. This is a clear warning to Israel. Again, this is very purposeful. Israel is being warned by looking at their brother brothers the Edomites. Don't be like them. This is not, by the way, this is not an issue of ethnicity. This is about faith in the Lord. In like manner, the marriage of a Christian to a non-Christian is spiritually dangerous. 2 Corinthians 6.14 warns against this. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? When a believer marries an unbeliever, there's a partnership being made between belief and unbelief. How can the temple of the living God, where the Lord himself dwells, and this is the description of the follower of Jesus Christ, how can they be attached with the false idols and false gods of this world? What place does belief have with unbelief? From a practical standpoint, it becomes all that, uh, that much more, more difficult to teach your children. Remember, we're to teach our children generation after generation. It's very difficult for the believer who has an unbelieving spouse to teach the truth of the gospel to the children. Because there isn't the support and encouragement of both parents. Belief and unbelief do not share a portion together. Now this of course is not an encouragement for the believing spouse to leave the unbeliever that they're married to. In fact we read this uh, earlier. Our New Testament reading 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Which teaches that the believer is to remain with an unbelieving spouse if they're willing to remain. Nevertheless, young people, this message is for you. Be careful who you choose to marry. Do not yoke yourself to the unbeliever. There is a personal and familiar danger, along with a lifetime of heartache. Esau, in his rejection of the covenant, compounded his problems in his choice of wives. Learn from this beloved congregation. Don't do it. Well, after having compared Edom to the family of Seir, we see that Edom becomes just like the nation that they had conquered. No longer a friend or a brother to Israel, they eventually became the wicked and bitter enemy. So the genealogy moves back to the family of Esau, but this time it, it focuses on the kings. Now it seems like there's a lot of repetition, and in one sense there is a lot of the same names, but that it's not really repetition as much as it's it's changing the focus. And now the focus is on the kings, the kings which reigned in the land of Edom before there were any kings in Israel. Look at verse thirty-one. Now this list goes down to verse thirty-nine, and you'll notice too these kings ruled over a specific realm in the land. This is why there's various cities which are mentioned. Now, this is an impressive list of kings. Uh, you see the growth and power of Edom is is awe inspiring. But despite their rejection of God, they they seem to become successful. And you know, if we were to measure this uh, by the measure of this world, by the pragmatism of this world, you know, one might look at this and think, well, maybe breaking the shackles of following the Lord is the thing to do. I mean, you're going to be better off. Look at the results, right? That's pragmatism. But the end of, the, the end of their nation is destruction by the Lord. Far from overpowering Israel, at, in fact, they are defeated by King David, King Solomon, and ultimately they're destroyed by other nations. And you notice too, I mentioned this earlier, by the time you get to the end of the list, you'll see the presence of the names of the, the deity Baal. They become. They became pagans. They began worshiping false gods. So further, the further they were from Israel, the further they were from the covenant family, the further they were from the one true God. Finally, this told off actually ends with in chapter thirty-seven and verse one. This is actually how the whole section ends. This is really an example of where the chapter, uh, our chapters. Don't really correspond. They, they kind of misplaced this one, but it ends with this in verse one of chapter thirty-seven. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Here's the, here's the here's the end of the comparison, right? This is this is where it all comes into focus. While Esau had left God, while Esau had left the land, while Esau was not faithful to the Lord, Jacob remained in the land of his father's sojournings. Jacob was faithful to the Lord. That's the point. Remember that while the promise of the seed was emphasized for Abraham, the land promise is emphasized in Jacob, and Jacob remained faithful. Again, here, here's this comparison between Jacob and Esau. This is where it's all crystallized for us. Esau had rejected the promises of God. Ultimately, Esau had rejected Christ. He went out from the land. He went out from the covenant family. He went out from Jacob. He went into the darkness and away from the light. And Jacob, in many respects, was called out of darkness into light. Remember, he was called the heel grabber, he was a deceiver. And now he's the friend of God. Here's the comparison. Jacob remained with God. And this is what the Christian is to do also. You and I are to remain faithful to God's promises. These things are written for our instruction. And what we have here is a warning. This is a warning as much to the nation of Israel as it is to us today. Today as well. Those who depart from the truth and reject the Lord impact not only themselves, but future generations. But with God's gracious intervention and love, people can be saved and walk in faithfulness. You know, those who have the privilege of growing up in the covenant family, who grow up in the church, that's many of our children here, right? You're growing up in the church. Here you are. This is, this is a privilege that you have, young people. You're called, though, to continue to walk in faithfulness. All of us. Those who are in Christ walk by faith. In obedience to God's word. And it is only by God's grace that Jacob was able to continue. And it's only by God's grace that you and I can do that as well. And isn't that the point? Most of us trace our heritage to other nations. They were outside of the covenant people of Israel, don't we? When you think about those who were scattered at the Tower of Babel, we were among those, of the, our, our forefathers were among those other nations. And look at us now God has called us out of darkness into his light. God has worked to redeem people from every nation and tribe and language and people. And that work continues to this day. Even in spite of Esau's unbelief, his descendants had a future. They had a story. The scriptures, in fact, instruct Israel not to abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother, Deuteronomy 23.7 says. And now, in Christ, there are perhaps remnants of Edom. Who have been reconciled, who are members of the kingdom of Christ. And beloved, that's the hope, isn't it? Even as Esau rejected God, God still saved some from among them. We cannot know what the future holds. But we're to live faithfully, being assured of God's grace, teaching our children God's word, reminding ourselves daily of the gospel truth that God in Christ is graciously rescuing sinners through faith in his death and resurrection. And that the gospel needs to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, inviting people to rest in Christ. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. God is so gracious. God is saving among all the nations. Even as we read this warning to us, this comparison, and yet we can rest in God's grace. And his mercy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We admit that this is a difficult section of scripture, uh, but we are grateful for what we can glean from it. The comparison you make to belief and unbelief, and also a reminder of the hope that we have in our Savior Jesus, that you have called, even from among the nations, many to faithfulness in you. Help us, O oh God, to walk in faithfulness. Help us to teach diligently our children your word and your truth. And may your name be glorified. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.